0: Hi, welcome to Total Rewind, the Filmmakers Compass podcast, where we take a look at movies 30 years and older and see if they still hold up. I am D-Man, joined by my co-host CP. CP, how you doing today?
1: Dude, I'm fantastic. I'm so excited we're watching this movie or talking about this movie this week. Dude, I'm really happy. I feel like I just nailed that intro. Oh, like <laughs> it was, it was solid, solid stuff there. Like now broadcasting, broadcasting just, 101.
0: Yeah, like each episode, I'm just now it's like the same thing. But you, you know, you got to do your classic intro kind of proud of myself. You know, it's easy to get tongue-tied. I think we've, we've redone takes before. It's pretty funny. I've never had to redo a take. Oh yeah, just me. Sorry. (laughs) I would never throw you under the bus as my co-host. So, Uh, yes, I agree. I'm totally excited for the movie that we're going to be discussing today. It's one I haven't seen before, and it takes us to our first film all the way back in the 1950s. So if you want to talk a little bit about the film, go ahead and introduce.
1: Awesome. This is actually a classic of the science fiction filmmaking genre. It's from 1956, way back in the day, starring Walter Pidgeon and Francis and Leslie Nielsen, the great. Forbidden Planet. Yes. I own the DVD. If you haven't seen it, you can get it on iTunes Prime or just buy it on Vudu because it's pretty cool. yeah. I think
0: if, that's where I watched it. Yeah. You
1: know, it, what's interesting about the
0: movie, like if I'm just giving my first impressions, I was really blown away by so many of the science fiction tropes and mechanics and everything that were used, and obviously have influenced movies. You know, I think I described it to you when we were talking kind of a pre-production meeting. I was describing it as like, if you went to Google right now, you know, you're a filmmaker and you type in like, I need a, science fiction, effects pack. A lot of what's in this movie is probably the type of stuff you're going to get.
1: And if you do any reading about the film, which I encourage you to do, it really blazed the trail in a couple ways. It was the first film to depict interstellar travel. It was the first film to depict human beings on another planet other than Earth. It was also the first film to use an electronic musical score. So these are some huge, huge, huge elements of of science fiction. So on that
0: note then, let's go ahead and talk about this movie culturally. Where do you see its relevance today? Because I can speak from experience. This is probably something that you would see in a film class, you know, especially if you're at a film school taking some sort of science fiction. Might still pop up on like the sci-fi network or maybe even like Turner Classic movies, maybe. Not necessarily something that you're going to see in kind of our everyday culture. That's
1: not how I felt about it. It's, it's kind of weird. This film did so many firsts. You can see the foundation that it laid for cinema after this things like Star Trek and Gene Roddenberry himself expressed the fact that this movie Forbidden Planet helped inspire Star Trek which is crazy there's no, other
0: it- things in here that match up you know obviously I've talked about this on the show many times one of my favorite movie is Star Wars and if we just look at Star Wars A New Hope I mean the amount of things that end up in Forbidden Planet that you end up seeing in Star Wars they do things where like they enter coordinates and they say punch it. Mm -hmm. which Han Solo says something pretty close to that when they go to Lightspeed in A New Hope when they're leaving Tatooine. They actually have two moons, not two suns, Mm -hmm. but they have two moons. And then there's other things. They're introducing robots. There's like a lot of the same stuff. They uh, The movie starts off by acknowledging hyperspeed or hyperspace mm-hmm. and the ability to travel at light speed. I mean, a lot of these things are just coming into play that I was like, wow, I'm not saying George Lucas like watched Forbidden Planet and was inspired to make Star Wars, but it would be hard to believe somebody who says he drew a lot of inspiration from other works didn't pull from these classic sci-fi films.
1: I mean, James Cameron, Stephen King, George R.R. Martin have talked about uh, their love for this movie and how it inspired them as storytellers. So it's it's incredibly impactful for the science fiction genre. I mean, the character of Robbie the Robot is is totally groundbreaking from the concept of, of a robot. This character went on to appear in other television shows and movies over like 30 years following the movie as Robbie the Robot. Yeah, I'm assuming, you know how you,
0: you see like those uh, paintings of, you know, all the great like gangsters... If they Mm -hmm. had a painting of like all the great like space robots, like he would be on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you know, there might be kids today that are like, hey, who's that robot? But uh, he'd, he'd be there for sure. You know, it's funny because I actually really thought what they're doing with Robbie the robot was pretty fun to the degree that giving him an element of humanity. Also, he's constantly acknowledging that like that goes against his programming. Yeah, but it's even very that's, that's another thing too. Robbie the robot actually tells them he's like, if you don't speak English, like I speak all these languages. I was like C three PO.
1: Yep, it's just yeah. a
0: different amount of languages. But uh, there was yeah, there were so many things like that. At the end of the day, yeah, it's weird because while its influence permeates sci fi and filmmaking on that level, it's weird because you know, like Wednesday night. Dodger Stadium is going to be Star Wars night. Mm -hmm. And I've already had people hit me up and be like, oh, are you going to go? I'm like, I probably can't. So shout out to uh, Mike (laughs) Soto. Thanks for hitting me up. There's not a Forbidden Planet night, or even for that matter, kind of a generalized kind of science fiction night that maybe these type of characters or robots or anything would be a part of. I guess it's so hard for me to see younger kids, myself, when I saw Star Wars watching this movie and having it capture their imagination the way maybe Star Wars did for me. I don't know how do you feel
1: I think you're right I feel like in a lot of ways it's been forgotten by the casual audience I think part of it is the fact that obviously this movie was made kind That's of long ago before Kennedy challenged us to go to the moon it was I think it even makes note.
0: yeah doesn't it make note at the beginning of the movie like humans made it to the moon by the end of the 20th century and yeah. it's like I mean the 60s was the space race.
1: the technologies and the futures you can see are very much a result of that World War II era and World War II technologies you can mm-hmm. kind of see how these filmmakers looked around and thought like, what's the natural evolution of these things? For us, we live in a world where technology has so far surpassed this in a different way. Sadly, this is in, in elements of this are almost comical. So let's talk about that.
0: Let's get into the effects, because you mentioned at the top of the episode that one of the things this movie does is introduce that kind of synthetic sound that we associate all older sci-fi. Talk a little bit about why it ended up the way it did, because something like Star Wars ends up switching us back to kind of like an organic orchestral score. Now they have all these themes for each of the characters and all this different stuff. Sorry, I keep bringing up Star Wars. But (laughs) I mean, for almost like two decades, this was
1: sci-fi. And it's kind of interesting. I was doing some reading about it a little bit, and the musicians who created the score were actually ineligible to win an Academy Award in the genre. They weren't considered musicians. They were doing something different.
0: That is fascinating, especially because, you know, I, I bet like right now you go, you know, turn on anything about UFOs or you probably go to the sci-fi channel. Like this is the type of music you hear. And speaking of UFOs, while we're on the topic of effects,
1: I mean, this movie, they they fly around in a flying saucer, right? How cool is that? <laughs> yeah, it's it's
0: fascinating because I actually thought a lot of the space effects looked pretty decent. I don't want to hate on it. I mean, I think they uh, had a consistency to them that made them work.
1: A lot of matte work and models, but I thought it looked really good and it still seems consistent. What didn't
0: work for me, though, from a space perspective was whenever they look out of the spaceship. And it makes sense because it's flying saucer and there's no big windows or anything. So it's within the story. It works. But the only time they ever like look out, I think they're looking at like a screen out into space. Didn't necessarily have that vibe of like standing on the deck of a starship.
1: It felt to me very much like the original Star Trek series did. Yeah,
0: where you're like, ah, I don't know. Yeah, it just it, doesn't like, have
1: the scale that we're used to with as a modern audience.
0: But I will say, when you, when they come down to, you know, the Forbidden Planet, which is what, Altair 4? Altair 4,
1: yeah. Which I
0: guess you, you actually, if you hear the word Altair or uh, that whole, like, lexicon, you hear a lot of people pay homage to that mm-hmm. in science fiction stuff. I think, like, Serenity had something. and
1: Stephen King does, yeah. Yeah,
0: I actually thought visuals when they're down on the planet like the planetscape are beautiful they look great Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. there was a lot there but then it's strange because then they'll do these other things they'll have these other shots where i'm like man did you guys like blow all the budget (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> over here like what happened because like that looked so good and then like this other scene you know they'll be in like like a little room or something at, at Morbius's place it just looks like a room
1: you <laughs> know like, like this looks exactly, exactly like every house in the 1950s
0: <laughs> yeah you know I was like well I don't know I mean to be fair Morbius and his crew that are all decimated at this point you know he, him and his daughter are the only people left with Robbie the robot they only have the things they brought with them and then were left by the alien Race there, the Krell. Mm-hmm. I guess if the Krell liked that 1940s like aesthetic or <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And I feel like that's something fans would totally pick up on and just like write into the, the history of if you were to build this out as like a whole kind of like world, people would just own that. You know how, like, again. Okay. Star Wars owns like 70s haircuts and like weird things. One of the other things, and I want to get your opinion on this. I thought they have a scene, the monster comes up to, they had set up like a force field gate around the spaceship. And the monster comes up, and I thought the monster looked really cool. It's like this flame outline, and you can see kind of like where the head is. And it's this big, bulky monster. You're like, definitely scary. And then they have all the guys shooting these like puny little lasers. <laughs> these purple lasers, which, you know, remind me of like Terminator. But yeah. Terminator has like such weight to them firing those guns. It feels like they're firing, like if that hits something, these are like the little ones that people make fun of. Like pew, pew, <laughs> pew, pew, pew.
1: pew. <laughs> the monster sequence is great. And actually, you know, there's some practical effects there. Before they set up the gate, when it, uh, the first time it attacks the spaceship, I love the shot of when it goes walking in you just see these footprints sinking in the sand
0: Oh yeah that was cool
1: I'm like, I actually wow, the, wondered to myself, how did they do this? Yeah, there's some pretty, like, it's pretty cool. Some of the practical effects they use there. And then the stairs all bend as it, as it climbs the staircase. But it, it is weird. You know, they have great effects. And then as you've said time and time again, then they followed up with these really cheap looking laser cannons.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that was weird. Just the juxtaposition because I was like, dang, you know, if they had managed to maybe get that right, it could be a little bit more intense than it was. Because, I mean, let's face it, it felt like those little... Purple lasers weren't doing jack against that that monster. I will say this too: when the monster starts grabbing like the soldiers, it kind of reminded me of like old school like monster movies. Like I could see like the old like what is it? Ten thousand leagues under the sea or whatever, yeah. like on the boat or like is it ten thousand leagues? What? Well, how many leagues is it? Twenty
1: thousand. Is it
0: twenty thousand? Twenty thousand yeah. leagues under the sea. My bad. <laughs> I can't be <laughs> saying I, I yeah.
1: felt it felt very King Kongish to me.
0: Yeah, right? Like, I could feel that monster movie vibe, which it is. I mean, at the end of the day, like, you actually look at this plot, and we'll get into the story in a sec, but, like, the plot really is, like, very similar to, like, Alien. Yeah. You know, obviously, there's a twist at the end of this, which is different from Alien. In essence, it's kind of, like, the same thing, except in Alien, they land on whatever that other spacecraft and then leave. Here, they're just staying on the planet, but whatever. It's simple. Plot-wise, it's very similar. Do you have anything left to say about the effects? Because I really... Oh, you know what I want to talk about? Yeah. Uh, the the robot.
1: Oh my gosh! I I think he looks amazing. He's you know not surprisingly uh, he. He is, I think, considered the most expensive movie prop in history. Oh, wow. The Robbie the Robot costume was about 10% of the entire Forbidden Planet budget. That's crazy. And which is probably why MGM and so many other studios ended up recycling it after the movie and and making Mm. it be a character in other films and television series and stuff. They're like, use this, use this prop. What I thought was cool (laughs) is there's so much on him that moves right his dials and antennas that are constantly moving and and he has lights when i think back to early sci-fi you know you think about like Metropolis and things where right, yeah, nothing has this level of sophistication and granted I understand that this is later than Metropolis what they did with Robbie was really create this robot with such personality it was so different than any other robot at the time and I think it's really cool and it looks great he has a very distinct personality he has a distinct you know the way he moves the way he acts the way he re- you know responds to people yeah that was the big thing for me is I, I, I really obviously the prop itself
0: is cool. It looks like at the end of the day, a man in a suit, but you know, so does C-3PO and you know, lots of other things. And we love that. It it was really funny because I laughed out loud when the little the cart, it's like a <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. dirt's like flying up because this cart's going through the desert and it's coming up to their spacecraft, and they're like, Well, whatever it is, moving fast. And then they just get this shot of like Robbie pulling in like super fast, and he just gets <laughs> out. He's like, Hi, I'm Robbie the robot. <laughs> and I was like, What is going on? Because this movie does it's very serious in tone. I mean, we're yeah. not talking about like uh it's not comedy, no, you know, if especially if you listen to that kind of synthesized score, it has these kind of like almost dark undertones yeah very more bloating, and there's like a monster and we know this crazy stuff's going on but then you have like this robot who's like you know hey i can't do that because that's against my programming and then you have the robot like bringing like all this alcohol like kansas city liquor to one of the guys and they got drunk although i guess the robot can't get drunk but i think he (laughs) burps at one point
1: yeah, he does after the first time when they give him the, the alcohol.
0: And then you have him speeding around on this cart and he's like, oh, hey, it's me. It's Robbie. I was like, I don't know who wrote that character in there, but it was much needed to really make this, I guess, more like beloved. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to make note of was so the costume design for all of the, I don't know, what we call them like astronauts or space people, whatever,
1: mm-hmm. the Space Navy. They all look the same to the point where it's almost confusing at times. You know who Leslie Nielsen is as the captain. The rest yeah, but- of the crew members all look pretty much identical except for the cook because he wears the chef's hat and the and the apron.
0: Yeah. And especially early in the film, I did have trouble telling like distinguishing
1: between the commanders, you know, the other officers and the, the doctor. And yeah, it, it's, it's kind of difficult. So if I was going back, I'd say, you know,
0: if you wanted to have kind of the faceless crew members, because there are a lot, there's like, what, 20 or something. I mean, obviously, there's a lot that don't even speak. I think you could have kept them in kind of a real uniform color scheme and, and looking outfit. But for the main leads, it would have been nice if they had some sort of insignia or colored something, different hat. I, whatever it is, something to help us distinguish, because I did have trouble with that. And they're all all white guys.
1: Well, and and that's why I wonder if like Gene Roddenberry, when he took this and and applied concepts of this towards Star Trek, if kind of the facelessness is how he got his red shirts. And then, yeah, uh, there you
0: go. Exactly. (laughs) That's
1: why you Spock and Captain Kirk and Bones are a little more identifiable. Maybe he realized that, hey, this is a problem. I could
0: see it because yes, Star Trek is deliberately using color and different ears and hairstyles and even to the extent that star trek has aliens or females like but they're differentiating different characters you know they have people of different races where here it's just all military looking white guys i'm like i don't know who (laughs) any of you guys are
1: you all look you know
0: they're all you know they don't have beards they they all look the same the same
1: haircut Yeah, yeah i was
0: like i don't know Now that we've talked about effects, I do want to get to the story. What are your thoughts on this kind of whole like monster movie? Because do you want to explain the
1: twist? A little spoiler here, but this movie's been out since the 50s. So, (laughs) wait, but I'm assuming many of our listeners have not seen it. We'll say so. The twist is this it turns out that the scientists who go to the planet originally and discover these old ancient alien technology from this superior advanced civilization, the Krell, end up using the Krell technology to release these monsters from their subconscious. This is kind of the high-level societal conversation about humanity, who has the right to weapons of these powers, people as a whole can't be trusted all the time, which, I mean, you know, they're living in this post-atomic world, and I'm assuming the screenwriters were very conscientious of these things at the time.
0: Yeah. And there's a slice of sci-fi where this is kind of like, you know, those are really, yeah, those are really common themes. You know, we actually just did an episode a few weeks back about Terminator. Mm -hmm. And these were things that you can see throughout both Terminator 1 and Terminator 2, where they're addressing these themes of power with technology and humans playing God and stuff. You know, they kind of address that here. And I believe they actually call it the monsters coming from the id. Yeah. Now I don't know what that is.
1: From like the subconscious, like that's just like like, like Freudian like, word for id, okay. ego, super ego stuff.
0: All right. Yeah. I never took psychology, so I'm like, <laughs> I, I was like, all right, I guess it's coming from their mind. You know, they're they're also playing with the themes of humanity. Uh, obviously, one of them is, you know, this guy Morbius has pretty smoking hot daughter. The all the guys want to kiss it, which. I I, You know, one of the guys actually says to her, like, what do you mean? Like, these guys have been on a spacecraft for like 24 months or something, like two years. And they haven't seen a woman in that long. What are you doing going around kissing all of them? Yeah. You're also kind of like, that's, you know, not to say that that's exactly what would happen, but I'm sure there would be some sexual tension between characters or people. If you have this girl trapped on a planet with only her father and a robot, and then all these military spacemen that haven't seen a woman in a long time you're like i think that would have to be a part of it i also wanted to make note that i'm pretty sure this movie would not pass the bechdel test i'm pretty sure there's not even another
1: female in it uh no yeah she is the only one (laughs) i guess we'll just leave it at that to go back to the the whole ethical discussion in fact i think point blank the captain tells morbius like hey you can't play god with these things and morbius says hey i have these technologies and i don't want to share them i want to be the one who 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 has access to what and what's safe. And I will be the judge, jury, and executioner here.
0: The irony is that he's the one who is essentially responsible for the monster that destroyed both crews. And that's because yep. he was the one experimenting with the stuff. Yeah. So the yeah. other guys who would have been able to create their own monsters, they did not survive the experimentation. He said they died. That was that. The irony is, and this is where we're getting into a lot of heavy thematic stuff, is he's not even aware that he's doing it. If that doesn't speak to people (laughs) of not being aware of creating their own monsters, you're like, wow, I mean, we got a lot going on by today's standards. That may seem a little heavy handed. (laughs) He's releasing his own subconscious monsters, which are like destroying everything. And And that's what science fiction does best.
1: No, absolutely. And, Obviously, the way it's played out is didactic sense of science fiction, kind of explaining to the audience what's going on is personally, I think it's kind of a necessary way to tell the story and to tell it in 90 minutes as they did. Like, that's what you had to do.
0: Yeah, it it is a little dialogue heavy at at points where it's a lot. It's like exposition dumps. You know, they are giving kind of a guided tour. I think of like maybe like Epcot ride. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, where like you're like going on this little cart and it's like taking you around and showing you this stuff, you're like, that's kind of how it felt. Like they're just walking through like each different room has something different. They can look at and explore. You know, it's interesting because the way the movie ends, Morbius, Correct me if I'm wrong, he sacrifices himself. Yeah, he
1: does. Because he decides to detonate the machine in the core. And
0: it's a little anticlimactic, I guess. The whole thing builds to this scene where they basically seal themselves off in this main chamber. Monster is coming through, get the captain because (laughs) this guy doesn't like that you know, he's in in love with him. Yeah. Yeah. And he can't even stop the monster because it's a subconscious. Even if he wanted to, he's like, I can't do it. It's interesting because the ending Morbius ends up sacrificing himself, destroying the planet and all the technology along with the monster, which would really just go with him because they don't want that to fall into anyone else's hands. They don't trust humanity. Mm -hmm. Right. Fair enough. I think the movie ends with a quote. It's a little somber where they say something about like humans playing God or whatever. Yeah. They're hitting on all these major themes. I did think the ending was a little anticlimactic though. And I wanted to bring this up because all great monster movies need that really, really great monster scene. Again, you think 20,000 Leagues under the sea, it's attacking the submarine. You think King Kong, he's up on thing. Yeah. Godzilla rampaging. You know, we didn't get that here. Even Alien, if we're looking at like science fiction, you know, you think about the alien on the spaceship and how scary it was. Here, it's like I don't know if they just ran out of budget at the end, or the fact that this monster is actually technically invisible because it's from someone's subconscious. But we did not get the uh, monster showdown that I was kind of hoping for.
1: Well, and I think it's probably partially intentional, right? Because the real monster in the film is Morius himself, right? Mm -hmm. But I think part of the problem is it almost plays out like a play with. Dialogue between the captain and Morbius as, as as the captain's trying to convince him this is all caused by him. What the film does really well is the monster attacks, right? It, the monster comes three times. Each one of those, it's actually they're really good scenes. There's good suspense. As an audience, you're like, Well, what's going on? Like, I really want to know more. You're totally into it. Just the ending feels unsatisfying because we don't ever get that definitive resolution from the characters finally you know, taking.
0: In essence, you, you get a self-sacrifice, which is great from a story standpoint, but for the other characters, they never confront the monster. Mm-hmm. I think that was where they just run from it. The ending itself has something to say about, Hey, you know, we have to control our own subconscious and we're responsible for the monsters we create. It would have been just, I think a little bit more fun to see a showdown. Cause I felt like it was building. that. Yeah. I also thought the monster, like I mentioned in the effects section looked really cool. And yeah. It it never comes back no you're right I mean, never in that type of form again it's just kind of looming in the background you know they're like oh my god it's coming and then it
1: keeps like knocking down trees and doors and, and you, know, you just almost you feel cheated i think as an audience a little bit i just expected to see it. the hero's got to slay the dragon it, while that happens it's not the way that we're expecting it to
0: yeah like you said it's like going to an action movie and like it, there's not a lot of action like, really. <laughs> well this is science fiction and monster movie stuff let's we gotta get a little bit of it. Thematically, I don't think the ending is bad. I think you could have a showdown with the monster and have a very similar ending because point that it's trying to get across is that while we can all fight the monster at the end of the day, it's the person who created that monster in their subconscious that needs to be responsible And take responsibility for it. Sadly, that came with self-sacrifice. The movie doesn't offer a more hopeful vision of being able to conquer that and still live. I guess if you're creating monsters that are taking out entire spaceships, maybe self-sacrifice is the only way. I don't know. (laughs)
1: <laughs> the other thing I wanted to note, I thought it was very interesting. When you look at the the poster for the film, I read something that MGM intentionally wanted viewers to go into the film expecting Robbie the Robot to be the villain and be the monster. And wow. obviously- He was right, comic they, relief. They throw that out there a couple times. They're like, is it the robot? You know, he can lift 10 tons. Is it him? I thought that was kind of a weird decision. You walk out of the film, Robbie's like the best character. Yeah, he was my favorite for sure. No, and then, you
0: know, it's interesting, too, because the story, it focuses heavily, especially early on, on the interactions with, what's her name, Altera, you know, between the soldiers, her and her father, and it all comes to a head through his subconscious. I don't know. I was wondering if the movie had any more kind of like Shakespearean ambitions, father and daughter stuff, because that that sounds very Shakespeare to me, right?
1: In, in doing some research before the episode, I, I did read a lot. The original author, I guess, was highly influenced by the Shakespeare work, The Tentist, which I never oh, okay. read, so I don't know. But I haven't either. I think you're absolutely right. There are some say, Shakespearean elements here that they're playing with. Some weird
0: stuff going on. And I was like, uh, I'm not sure where this is all going. And it kind of went where I thought it was, which it ended up being the dad. Overall, I really enjoyed the movie. It was fun to take a look back at movie and filmmaking from the 1950s. That's always fun. It's something where I feel like we come to our decision here, right? End of the episode, does this movie hold up? This one was tough, tougher than usual because we're not talking necessarily, is this a movie that if I were to show it to my kids, do I think they would like it? Just like most old media, it ages itself out over time, but its influence can't be understated. Oh man, I have to pick one way or the other. You know, I think if we're, if I'm going to show the next generation some sci-fi movies, I think I'm going to choose some other ones. I'm probably going to go with Star Wars and Alien, 2001, Terminator. I don't know if I would pick this movie. So sadly, I think I'm just gonna have to say no.
1: Okay. Okay. Fair enough.
0: Which sucks because I really did enjoy it. Um, It's one that I liked a lot. And I say no begrudgingly. That's the point of this show. But (laughs) I mean, I can't say yes to everything we watch. You know, when I'm looking at the criteria and I'm saying like, hey, you know, what would I want to really pass on? And not just classics, because like you said, you need to see sci-fi from all the different genres and stuff. That's just so tough. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, I'm gonna disagree I think that while I don't know that all audiences will appreciate the film I don't think that they'll have the patience for the scenes where the doctor and Morbius are are discussing the, the workings of you know ancient civilizations I think that if you're a filmmaker if you're a science fiction fan you really have to see this movie yeah I think so it, too it is the roots of so many things that not just you and I love you know so many other people out there love you can see the direct influence that this has had on so many other works as we mentioned so I think everyone should see it there you go MGM a couple years ago actually considered rebooting the film oh Um, really yeah they wanted to bring it back and do a more modern look at it I think the themes are still relevant and this is about human nature and people and and do we trust people with unlimited power I mean unlike
0: Star Wars it doesn't take place a long time ago it takes place way in the future
1: so (laughs) (laughs) very true so I'm going to disagree with you. And I'm going to say, I think everybody should see it. And if you get the opportunity, you're watching a movie from 1956. So as long as you go into it, not expecting it to blow your mind in terms of the editing and visual effects, I think it's a really good piece of content.
0: You know, it makes me want to change my answer just to be like, it's worth it for Robbie the Robot. <laughs> And that's true man. He is like, such an I mean awesome I feel character. like he should be reintroduced. Robbie needs a comeback. You know, I want people to check out this movie <laughs> if only to watch this Kansas City whiskey drinking robot. <laughs> That was a disgusting choice and I hate myself for it. (laughs) So that's our episode. I wanted to say thank you so much for tuning in. CP, can you go ahead and uh, introduce what we'll be talking about on next week's Total War? Next
1: week, we're going to jump forward two decades. We're going to watch what used to be a comedy classic, Animal House. And there's going to be a lot to talk about and I'm really looking forward to watching it.
0: I actually just had a chance to watch this movie.
1: I'll just say it's aged and we'll talk about it. (laughs) Definitely check out Animal House so you can uh, participate in the conversation next week and be sure to keep the conversations going from this episode
0: you can message us on all social media I'm at Big Kid D-Man he's at NDCal5 you can also connect with the podcast itself at Film Comp Podcast and then if you want to find all the links because we're listed on Apple Podcasts Spotify Google Play Music and all that go to Google type in Filmmakers Compass Podcast our website will pop up and all the links are there so be sure to follow the show and subscribe on whatever your uh platform is for listening to podcasts. Thank you so much. We, uh, you know, really appreciate everyone that's tuning in and enjoying the show and uh, we'll be back.